0: As the heat sizzles and the cold water flows, we ask who owns that water and is there enough of it? From South Dakota Public Broadcasting, it's Wednesday, August 23rd, and this is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, John Hunter joins us to talk about water infrastructure and the politics of water rights in South Dakota. That's today's Dakota Political Junkies conversation. We welcome USD's outgoing athletic director, David Herbster, for a look at his coyote legacy. And speaking of water, how much of it should you be splashing on saving your lawn and landscaping during the heat? Eric Helland stops by. Plus, a fringe festival production comes home to Aberdeen. We explore the lives of the saints later in the hour. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. The federal government offered millions of dollars to feed hungry kids in South Dakota. The state government said no thanks. Bart Fancook is content director at South Dakota Newswatch and he is with us now to talk about why the Nome administration declined to apply for a federal food funds program and Bart is with us in SDPB's Black Hill Surgical Hospital studio in our Rapid City space. Hey Bart, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me Lori.
0: Tell us about this program and how it is set aside from other food uh, programs from the federal government. What is the program?
1: You bet. Uh, So this is called the Pandemic uh, uh, Electronic Benefit Transfer Program, or EPBT. This was instituted uh, to provide money during uh, the height of the COVID pandemic, and Congress recently extended the program to uh, help uh, uh, low-income kids get food. So this uh, particular grant opportunity was about $7.5 million that would have benefited or could have benefited an estimated 63,000 kids. It would have provided about $40 a month or $1.30 a day, to uh, each child uh, over the summer months to help them uh, get healthy food uh, that uh, they qualify for and just uh, balance out. Uh, it's in addition to the SNAP uh, food stamp, stamp program and other benefits they might receive, uh, but it was just a, seen as a boost uh, for families that are living on the margin.
0: So more than 40 states said yes. Why did South Dakota say no? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, this comes from uh, Ian Fury, uh Governor Noem's spokesperson and also a spokeswoman for the Department of Education. Uh, uh, Fury said that uh, the state, you know, doesn't, uh, reviews all federal money carefully and uh, rejects some. And a DOE uh, spokesperson said that administratively it was too difficult to manage uh, because uh, of local control and the state not being able to uh, get information about all students in mass, she said, and that that uh, just made it a little unwieldy.
0: All right. So let's dig into that a little bit more. So they wanted the federal government wanted more information about the students than the state collects. Are they trying to change or look at whether they're collecting the right information, or are they just saying, hey, this is a federal program we don't want anything to do with?
1: Yeah, that, that's really the extent of what I, I know from them. Uh, there, there's two pieces of, of context, I think, uh, within which this issue fits, and the first is uh, you know, despite claims uh, by Governor Noem that uh, South Dakota is has a great financial bounty for all, uh, uh, poverty and at least life on the economic margins for many uh, uh, remains prevalent. And Feeding South Dakota estimates that uh, almost 25,000 kids are food insecure or unable to get food uh, to keep them healthy uh, for financial reasons. The other part, of course, is South Dakota's long history of accepting federal money uh, and all, at times rejecting it. Uh, South Dakota uh, receives about $10.3 billion a year in federal funding and uh, uh, also received about $14 billion during the pandemic. South Dakota also did participate in this program in 2020 and 2021 and received about $80 million to help keep uh, kids fed during the pandemic. So the idea that suddenly it became administratively unwieldy, um, just the facts uh, uh, don't support that in full.
0: Tell me what you heard from people who are boots on the ground with feeding hungry kids, particularly in the summer. What is their response to the rejection of this program by state government?
1: You know, uh, Feeding South Dakota is disappointed. They wanna see every opportunity to help. Uh, they know what's really going on out there, and uh, they see the need that families have. They, they of course, would welcome any additional funding. And then there's more on the advocate side. Uh, Kathy Brechtels-Bauer uh, from uh, Sioux Falls is a uh, known uh, uh, advocate for fighting hunger. Uh, she said her mind was blown that we would make this decision. Uh, you know, out of all, I think, it, back to that context on, on this situation, Uh, of all the federal money we get you know we rejected this we also sent back money uh uh, after the pandemic uh, that would have aided people uh, it was assistance for rental uh, housing uh, costs and we sent millions of dollars back to the federal government there so it does seem to be this picking and choosing and also then uh, using that uh, those rejections as sort of a i don't want to say a badge of honor because that's too far but there does seem to be no hesitancy in defending those decisions uh, and, uh, you know, there's not it doesn't seem to be a lot of explanation uh, beyond, well, it was it was a little too administratively difficult. So I, I can't speak to exactly what the, the mo- state's motivation was there. But this has not landed well. Uh, and uh, the money's a- available for future years. And uh, I, d- I, I did not get an answer to a question about whether South Dakota would apply for uh, future years.
0: Right. So we don't really know what's next. So Ian Fury says in your piece, you know, there's strings attached to federal money, Kathy Brechtelsbauer says in your piece, why can't we handle things as well as 43 other states? This has become, I think it's safe to say, a political talking point, or am I out on the limb there, Bart? What do you think about the the politics of how some of these things get caught up in politics? Like, we don't accept this money. Um, South Dakota's independent. What what does that bring up for you?
2: I-
1: you know, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a provider of facts and a provider of information and context, and I let uh, you and, and readers make up their minds. But I do think it's interesting that uh, with all this money coming in, uh, you know, there are certain places where there are decisions made to not accept it. Uh, when you look at the money for the pandemic, uh, uh, having already received it, I think part of the, the thing as a, a reasonable person could think about is we took this money for a couple of years and it helped. and now we're not. And the need has been reduced uh, now that COVID uh, has eased. But there's still, you know, 25,000 hungry kids and, and many, many more that live on the edge of, of financial insecurity, uh, that qualify for free or reduced lunch at school, uh, those $1.30 or $100, a1.30 a day for those students during the summer. Uh, The other thing I think uh, that's worth mentioning is the state does uh, have, uh, and it's federally funded, a summer meal program that's hosted in most cases by schools, including in Rapid City and Sioux Falls. They have very um, uh, open border programs. They don't do a lot of checking of your financial records in Sioux Falls. They accept anyone and in Rapid City. They even accepted parents who might drive uh, uh, or grandparents who might drive the kid to the feeding site. But you still have to get to those sites. And I did talk to a woman in McLaughlin, I mean, one of our most remote communities. And that's extremely difficult up there uh, for families that are really fighting uh, poverty to get their kids to these meal sites. And this allowed for transportable funding. So you, the, the money followed the kid, they could take uh, their EBT card, go to a qualifying grocery store and buy uh, uh, materials for uh, a healthy lunch. And they didn't have to be driven to a site or make it during the the hours that the meals are, fed, are, are served. So those are some things I think that are missing there. And also there was a federal uh, government, I've learned since the piece ran, that the federal government did pay for some administrative costs to run the program. So I think readers and, and people like you and thoughtful residents of South Dakota can kind of make up their own minds about what to think about uh, this decision.
0: All right. Lots of hungry kids out there, lots of different programs to get food to them. Uh, This is one. You can read more about it at sdnewswatch.org. Bart Fancook is content director at South Dakota Newswatch. We appreciate your time today, Bart. See you next time. Always a pleasure. Welcome back to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, after 10 years as the University of South Dakota's athletic director, David Herbster is stepping down. He has held this role since 2013. He acted as interim athletic director before that. And even before that, he was a familiar face around the Coyotes athletic department. He's with us now in SDPB studios on the campus of USD in Vermilion to look back at that athletic legacy and some big transitions during that time. David Herbster, welcome. Thanks for being there.
3: Thank you, Lori. Thank you for having me on today.
0: You had such a quiet tenure. Not much happened. You just sort of kept <laughs> things steady and uh, didn't, you know, rock the boat or steer the ship in any new defini- uh, directions. That's, that's fair, right?
3: Sure, no. sure. It, was a, it no. was a pretty calm 10, <laughs> ten plus years. <laughs>
0: all right. Tell us a little bit, first of all, like some of the things that you'll miss as you move on to your next role. at uh, Sanford Health, I believe you're going to. But tell me a little bit about what you'll miss about the USD Athletic Department.
3: I think the one thing that I'll miss the most is one of the reasons I got into the business was having the ability to interact with the student-athletes. Their energy, their passion, kind of the youthfulness of it, um, and just watching them grow uh, not only from sometimes seeing them when they were being recruited in high school to the point in time that they get to graduation um, and walk across that stage and get their diploma. I think to me that's one of the things I'll miss the most. Uh, But in my new role at Sanford, I'll still have that opportunity to work with S- Sanford's uh, partners, uh, whether that be their university partners or youth organizations or South Dakota High School Activity Association. Um, so it won't be too far away from it, but certainly not in the trenches like I, I have been here.
0: So take me back to when a student is making that decision and you're trying to convince them to come to USD. Not only because you think it's you know a good fit for them as an athlete, as an and as a student, as an academic, but also like you're trying to create programs that will bring more of those elite athletes to uh, and, and community leaders to your campus. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you heard from those students and how you responded to them.
3: You know, I think over the years. Um, I kind of came full circle on this a little bit because before my, my, I have three daughters, and before they got to the point where they entered were college age, uh, and two of them will be, one did and one will be playing athletics in college, I always, I realized that the coaches can win over the student athletes, but one of my roles was to really uh, engage with the parents uh, and assure them that, you know, we realize and value the fact that you're going to trust your most prized possession with us, and that's your baby. Mm -hmm. and um, I I look at our coaches, and any time I've ever hired a coach, kind of the last box they have to check for me was what I let you coach my own children, my own own kids. And it probably wasn't until we went through that process with my middle daughter, Casey, who ended up playing soccer at Concordia St. Paul, Or now I was on the other side of that, Um, and and having to trust my baby with something with somebody, but it also reinforced how important it is here at the University of South Dakota uh, that we do that, and that was kind of my full circle. But um, you know, for the the, they want to make sure that you know sometimes it's hard to pull questions or answers out of the students, and you can engage with the parents a little bit more, and you really want to provide them the assurance and the trust that we're going to take care of their uh, their son or daughter uh, from the first time they step on campus until they graduate.
0: So where are you at uh, in your career there at USD during the transition to Division I? That's pretty early in your transition, or tell me about that.
3: Really early in the transition. So I got here in the spring of 2007 when they had just, USD had just announced that they were going to go Division I. And so that 2007, seven 2008 year was our first year of the transition but we're technically still division two and then so that point forward when I first was brought in here it was really to kind of help and enhance the revenue generation ability of the of the athletics uh certainly it was going to be an increased cost in scholarships um in personnel and and just in operating so uh, that was kind of my role for the first um five six years I was here
0: All right. So let's talk about leadership and vision and really getting people on board for something that hasn't happened yet. What led you to believe that that transition would be successful and how did you communicate that to others?
3: Sure. You know, I think we had the opportunity, and maybe it's the luxury of looking at from how some other schools made the transition, some of our old North Central Conference peers, whether it be Northern Colorado, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and then just structurally, how do we manage this process and putting together a four-year plan to get us through that, realizing that you can't do everything in the first year. And I think along the way, uh, realizing that at the you know, at the end, part of it was a mindset that we had to change as an athletic department. Part of it is a mindset that the university has to change. Jim Abbott, the former president here, was an incredible champion of this. Uh, that certainly helped me. And then I think one of the things I had to do really was convince a lot of our, our alumni, our donors, our fans you know, many of them had concerns that, you know, in going to Division One, we're going to bring in a different athlete, maybe not an athlete that has the same values that we've had in the past or that academically that we're going to suffer and our grades are going to go down. And, and, and really the inverse happened because we worked very hard on ensuring that when students came in here, it was your student first and an athlete second. Um, and, you know, that resonated not only with our coaches, because that's really something that they, they, they preached. Uh, but it was really how we lived day, you know, every single day in the department. And it was really uh, lockstep with campus. And I think that's important to have the athletic department and campus in lockstep together.
0: All right. So the historic uh, women's basketball team, uh, sweet 16 appearance, the buses roll in and people show up to celebrate a success. So any success really, but that one comes to mind for me. Um, what's it like for you as the AD to sit back and watch um, the celebration.
3: You know the what I've always appreciated is the on-court celebration, the yeah. on-field celebration, because you have that instant release of passion, of energy, of excitement, of of happiness. Um, and then you get a chance to reflect on a little bit. So, like, well, let's say when those buses come back to campus and you actually get to welcome them back. And, the, you know, the year back in 2016 when we won the WNIT and we were able to do that almost virtually, yeah. that was the last year of the Dome. Um, and I think we had six last games in the Dome because of the women's NIT. But to watch them rally around it, those are goosebump moments. They really are. And those are things that you don't ever forget. But m- the ability to provide those opportunities for the student-athletes is, is, has always been extremely re- rewarding.
0: What's next for this program? What advice would you leave behind to, you know, there's a a nationwide search, of course. What do you want to tell the next athletic director?
3: Follow your heart. Follow your gut. Uh, Don't take no for an answer. Uh, Realize that you're being entrusted with 430 athletes who are all looking for you for guidance. Those coaches are looking for you for guidance. You've got to be strong. You have to be able to relate uh, and communicate not only with the coaches and the student-athletes and develop that rapport, Take your vision and make sure that it's a vision that everybody buys into and do not ever give up on pushing that vision.
0: David Herbster um, on his way to Sanford from the University of South Dakota Athletic Department. Thank you so much for all that you've done, and we'll hopefully talk to you again. You're not going too far.
3: Not going too far. I appreciate it, Lori.
0: You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, for today's Dakota Political Junkies conversation, we'll dive into the politics of water in South Dakota. We'll talk about water rights, the Lewis and Clark Regional Water System expansion, and what happens when other states seek water from the Missouri River. John Hunter is publisher emeritus of the Madison Daily Leader. He's a member of the South Dakota Newspaper Hall of Fame, and he wrote about water infrastructure in a recent opinion, a column in in the Madison Daily Leader. He's with me on the phone. Hey, John, how are you?
4: Hi, Lori. I'm fine.
5: Thanks.
0: Up in Madison, where the Lewis and Clark Regional Water System has been uh, patiently waited for, (laughs) help people who don't understand (laughs) what this process and journey has been like. Um, how do you explain it to people?
4: Well, it, uh, it's extraordinary, uh, Lori. First of all, to have, uh, to have all the politics and all the things that need to uh, go right in order for a system like this to be constructed is extraordinary. And then you add to that unbelievable patience. You know, in, in Madison, and we're the last uh, city in South Dakota to be connected to Lewis and Clark. Um, we've waited over 30 years, and that's when we started putting in money into the system. So we fully paid our share within just a few years, raised our local water rates to pay for it, and then just uh, sat and patiently waited. It's been a long journey, but uh, clearly these are really important infrastructure things, and we're glad we did it.
0: So it took a long time because of why? (laughs) Why did it take 30 years?
4: unbelievable. Well first of all it took you know it's a shared project and and I need to emphasize you know these water systems are political animals there's there's no private really you know Fred Johnson's water system right They're all kind of government agencies or part of that. And so this one in particular required three different states um, you know three that means three governors, three legislatures, uh, six senators, uh, 20 plus um, municipal and rural water systems to get done. So it was actually about 10 years before the project was even authorized, and that's a that's a very important term in the federal government because that means they're going to eventually live up to their obligation. So after that 10 years, we're ready to ready to go, and and all the municipalities, rural water systems, states put all their money in, and then the federal government says, well, maybe not all of it right now. And that money dribbled in over the next 20 years until this latest surge of federal government spending is able to finish that off.
0: All right. So it's the Biden administration that gives post-pandemic money to kind of get the the next, you know, section of, of infrastructure built. But they can't really take credit for it. And I'm, and I'm saying this in the sense that, like, it, how political it's political. But it's not necessarily going to be on somebody's political sign. You're not going to hear it brought up at the debate because it is such a complicated, you know, a complicated thing. You don't turn on your tap and say, thank you, Biden. Right. (laughs) 30 years. (laughs) So therefore, it can be hard to campaign on or prioritize it because it is complicated.
4: Right. And think of all those years, all those different administrations, all those different legislatures. But here's a trivia question, Lori, (laughs) that um, everyone knows. Lewis and Clark started out as the Southeast South Dakota rural water system. And uh, so when the original uh, organizers went to Senator Daschle, he said, this is, you know, I can't carry this thing by myself or even with Senator Pressler. So let's get other states involved. So you sent out tentacles into Iowa and Minnesota, and so then you can get those senators and those legislatures and those governors involved. And that's what helped get this thing because it was a regional system and not just a benefit to South Dakota.
0: Sure. Okay. So let's talk about the Missouri River now because water rights still political there, and some of those Western states... um, Might have their eye on the Missouri. It doesn't really belong to South (laughs) Dakota, even though we think of it as our river, our state that divides us into east and west. It's not our water. Help people understand how that works.
4: Well, the yeah, your question is is apt. Uh, Who does who does own those water rights? And and it's in in a quick summary, it's mostly the states, although the federal government has a significant role in that because there is lots of uses of the Missouri besides fresh drinking water. It's also used for transportation, southern mostly. It's used for hydropower. It's a huge thing for us. It's used for recreation, and the federal government has responsibility for flood control. So it's not just fresh drinking water. But by and large, Lori, those those water rights are granted by states to individual users, whether it's uh, agricultural uses for irrigation or rural water systems. And the, the news with that is kind of interesting. Once that's granted, it pretty well stays in place forever. And that if there gets to be problems in the future where you've got a shrinking supply, the earlier ones who got in get the priority. So that's particularly important right now if California and Arizona and New Mexico are starting to look at South Dakota's Missouri River as a source for their dwindling supply of the Colorado. We want to make sure we get our rights established first. So there are several different water systems, three in particular, that are uh, kind of in the formation stage to try to apply for rights uh, in addition to Lewis and Clark uh, that would kind of stamp those rights ahead of those who may come 10 years from now.
0: What needs to happen next, then, and who needs to be making those decisions? Because what I hear you saying is, you know, somebody is, needs to be on top of it um, now, or, right. ten, so, or ten years ago.
4: Right. Um, so the question is, how do you? I mean, the, the the rights are applied with the state. That's where you have to go, and really only for large scale projects. You can put a you can put a hose in the Missouri River and pull out without any problems. But if it's over ten thousand acre feet, then it has to go through the state legislature. Now, Lewis and Clark was the last water system that did that 30 years ago and got that application. And they are going to now apply again to expand their system uh, from 43 and a fraction million gallons a day to 60 million gallons a day. So those 19 million gallons um, need to be applied for, and they will they will do that. Now, the other ones, um, there's one called the Dakota Mainstem Regional Water System that would kind of be a Lewis and Clark clone in central and southern uh, parts of the state. And there are lots of cities and rural water systems signed up from that, including five members who are also members of Lewis and Clark, city of Sioux Falls, uh, Lincoln uh, County, Rural Water, and so forth, even Madison. There's one called Western Dakota Regional Water System, which would serve the western part of the state. And there's one up in the northeast called Wynn water investment in northern South Dakota, Aberdeen, and and those. So all those are kind of in formation stages. But you have to have a reasonable plan um, and, you know, some some uh, expectation of financing before you can apply for the rights. You can't just say, hey, I want the rights now, and then I'll just hold them forever. So they're all kind of scrambling. Uh, that main stem thing just on August 1st approved their bylaws, so they are probably ahead of the others. Um, but they're all going to be coming, I think, to the legislature at some point to ask for rights.
6: So
0: let's talk about this a little bit because, um, economic growth, population growth, you you have to have enough water to bring it. We talk a lot about, um, you know, workforce. If you're going to recruit somebody to come to South Dakota, you're going to say, oh, the taxes are low or, you know, freedom works here or whatever your efforts are to get people to come. When they do come, that is an increase in population. And you need to have an infrastructure to support any kind of growth, whether it be in business or residential or even recreation that might be seasonal. Um, ha- how are those decisions made? I mean, is at some point, are we just capped because we don't have enough water to grow anymore?
4: Uh, the Missouri is fortunately a plentiful river. And, you, you know, the upper three states um, have fewer than three million population, So it's not a problem.
0: <laughs> We're not overpopulated um, yet? Is that what you're telling me, John? Not,
4: <laughs> not quite Tucson or but, Phoenix, is it?
0: But we need the infrastructure, <laughs> but, though. I mean you might have this, right. you might have the space and you might have the water, but you don't have the pipeline to get it where it needs to go, right? Right.
4: Well think of this. Sioux Falls, remember, used to be served entirely by the Big Sioux River. And certainly with the growth that Sioux Falls has seen, there's not a chance that the Big Sioux could provide enough water for the city of Sioux Falls today. Right. But someone had to think of that thirty years ago when they said let's Try Let's do something else. And so I think a lot of people are trying to think 30 years from now, what kinds of things are you going to need? And the good thing about the Missouri, it's really clean water. You don't see a lot of uh, 3Ms or General Electrics up the stream that are putting in chemicals. It's really good water. It doesn't have any of these forever chemicals that plague much of the nation. So it's good water. It's plentiful, at least at the moment. And so I think it's a really visionary thing that these companies or these organizations are thinking out of ways. I think there are a lot of people who regretted not joining Lewis and Clark. Uh Um, And I don't know the specific rural water systems or municipalities, but I think they said, "Rats, we should have gotten in on that.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe not when you were in, you know, year 12 of waiting. <laughs> they probably said it's a good <laughs> thing. But now that you're on year 30, and the volume increases. Here's
4: another thing, Lori, if I yeah. may. Um, you know, population, I think, is probably the biggest driver of water usage. I mean, I've thought about this. I've talked to uh, water people about this. There are some big kind of value-added agricultural operations that also use a lot of water. You know, there was a there was a plan for a time to put a uh, shrimp growing plant in Madison that was going to use millions of gallons a day and that never came to fruition but um certainly City of Sioux Falls Lincoln County uh is experiencing all this population growth and that's that's a real demand i'm not sure that you know individual residential water usage per person is growing i think it's fairly flat um you know we don't you know if people are i think Uh, conscious of the environmental importance of water and don't waste a lot certainly in a hot summer and i know you've got a guest on later talking about how much we should irrigate yeah um that's that's what i was going to say so
0: we'll we'll ask the lawn and landscaping guy how much of that water (laughs) he wants us to be using to keep those things (laughs) green but okay so go back for a second john because this all intersects you said like well 30 years from now 30 years from now we um Unless we make some pretty significant changes, our climate's going to be very different. You know we more extreme. We're already seeing, of course, the impacts of, of human-caused climate change. We're all sitting in a heat wave right now. Some places in the state have extreme heat warnings right now. We'll see more of this. The drought um, that we have seen in the past, um, there's a, a lot that intersects. With water from in the political in the political, very much. In the political very realm. much
4: and you think you, I think if you look out that far and think of the possibilities or the range of possibilities, could be the same, could be different. But you think we got to get the fundamentals right: clean air, clean water, you know, whatever the you know the the, the basic the very basic fundamentals mm-hmm. of living. You have to kind of think of those. And here's the irony: I remember reading the other day. There's not a single person involved with Lewis and Clark at its very beginning, who is still involved with it today. Mm-hmm. So talk about visionary, that they would think of things past their lifetime. They may they may still be alive, but they're not involved with Lewis and Clark. But that you'd have to think one more generation. We're so thankful to them for thinking ahead. Maybe it's maybe we need to do some thinking of, but you know if you think of again back to these water rights, you want to I think you want to put your stake in the ground uh, for whatever happens. We don't we can't even predict that far. But, but let's I just let's get came back up.
0: from the Black Hills where there are a lot of stakes in the ground. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and some of those stakes are from mining companies that you want to use a whole lot of municipal water. Um, so again, if you think water's ah. not politics, then uh, you, you're not paying deep attention to some of those stories. Well, wow. think
4: of all the politics. You've got states, you've got the federal government, you've got municipalities, you've got yeah. counties, You know, I mean, there's at PUC, there's everybody.
0: All right. Well, good foundational conversation for deeper thoughts and more details and stories later. Who knew we could go an entire segment? Uh, talking about the poli- <laughs> politics of water. We did, and so does anybody. There's, uh, plenty <laughs> there's plenty more segments. plenty more.
4: more segments we could fill up, too.
0: <laughs> All right, John Hunter, we're going to talk about uh, your lawns and gardens up next, but uh, for our Dakota Political Junkies conversation, John Hunter, publisher emeritus of the Madison Daily Leader, you can uh, go online and see his column, um, I think, right now, because I just did it this morning. John, thanks so much. We'll <laughs> see you next time.
4: Thanks, Laurie. Take care.
0: You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. As we enter yet another day of excessive heat warnings in certain parts of the state, you hopefully know by now what to do as a person to stay healthy, but what should you do to take care of your green or leafy companions? And What can you do to protect your landscaping and all this heat? Eric Helland is president and owner of Landscape Garden Centers in Sioux Falls. He's with me in the Kirby family studio. Hey there. Hey, how are you? I'm well. Good. Before we go to the plants, let's go back to the the human component of this because mm-hmm. to take care of your plants or to install things, you, you're working outside. There are a lot yep. of people who are working outside a lot. Um, today. You've got crews that yep. uh, spend a lot of times outdoors. How? What kind of? What level of precaution
5: so do you we have s- to take? Yeah. yeah. Um. So we a lot of discussion, we have safety meetings are weekly. and then during things like this, it's daily reminders. and we'll have coolers that'll be filled with Gatorade and water for them to take out with them when they leave. and then also when they come back. So they start earlier. They are done earlier, They're at home by usually 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon so that way they can get their body. I mean, the main thing is get your body cooled down, <clears throat> replenished with fluids, and then get ready to do it all over again. But short-lived this week. Hopefully tomorrow we'll see a little bit of reprieve and especially this weekend.
0: All right. So what are they yeah. out there doing at this point? Is it uh, like... What are, what are your crews <laughs> so out there doing today? Limited
5: on planting yeah. plants just because it's stressful on the humans just as much as it is on plants and when you have uh, this type of heat uh, the soil temperature goes up everything goes up and so plants basically will start to shut down so now you're shutting down a a plant will just automatically just shut down it's going to sustain so it'll be carrying on photosynthesis and things like that sometimes they will continue to pull up water if they need more or sometimes they will not take on any more water or they will not trans. they will just be kind of be done and kind of in a pause. And so then people are like going, well, I should water more. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes that can be a detriment. Um, sometimes it's absolutely the truth you want to, and then don't do things that cause more watering to, to be needed, like mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn like right now is going to be it. Can, it's going to need water, and then it actually stresses out the plant. So each one of those grass blades is a plant. So that gets stressed out, and then therefore that will shut down, and then it's going to require more water. Then you got to put more water on, but then certain plant species do not grow or do do anything when the ground temperature is over seventy some degrees or whatever temperature is based on what the variety of grass is. So there's just a there's a lot going on. So basically, yeah. just hang. I mean, if plants are wilting, go ahead and put water on it. If the ground is still wet around it, don't give it any more water.
0: Okay, so in my lawn, it, it, the weeds are nice and green. There's yeah, like absolutely. a little patch of weeds that yeah. says, I'm, we're fine, and the grass is sad. Normally, I just mow over yeah. those weeds. Yep. Well, now I don't want to mow over the weeds because I'm also mowing the grass. Yep. Am I hand-pulling the weeds now? Is that Hand-pull
5: the, the weeds, yeah. The, ideal? So the other thing is make sure weeds are, have had a great summer. They've just been so they successful. Have indeed. Yeah, and anything that's unwanted is usually doing really well because that's what weeds do best. So right? many
0: metaphors. <laughs>
5: right. So they have the all of these weeds are going through, and they're, the weeds are um, you know, popping up through the grass, and you're like, okay, how do I control that? Well, make sure it doesn't go to seed. So that's where you do want to either pull it or make sure it, it, you get rid of the grass by pulling it. Like we had... Did we have the rain this last weekend or two weekends ago? Two weeks ago.
0: I don't know. I was out west, so.
5: But it was just beautiful. Yeah. Because you could go out and pull weeds and everything popped. right. They come popped, out, so came nice, out. So, yeah. yeah. So now that's what we yeah. wait. We'll get another shower here in yeah. the next week or so. It's and like then. the
0: ultimate st- stress reliever is to pull weeds after I know. it rains. Yes. <coughs> so satisfying. Yes. Barefoot walking day.
5: out there. You bet.
0: Yes. However, when it's dry and crummy and yeah. hot, then it's Yeah, no just
5: good. let it buck. And then just <laughs> no, make less of what you need to do because it's miserable out there unless yeah. you really are into the pulling weeds in in the heat.
0: All right, trees. Yeah. Your you know your boulevard yeah. trees, your backyard. You know, so apple those trees. Yeah,
5: trees take up. Um, in some cases, hundreds and thousands of gallons. Big, 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 big trees will take up thousands of gallons of water out of the air and out of the ground. So they're always transpiring, and we've noticed, actually today, I don't, I don't remember where I was at, but I noticed that the leaves were actually, had turned yellow, or leaves, the trees were dropping leaves because mm-hmm. the tree cannot sustain all of the leaves, so it's gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna get rid of the interior leaves because two things that are happening right now is we're having less daylight length so then the tree goes well. You know, let's get rid of these leaves because they're not helping me want out that. anymore. I know.
0: I don't want less daylight yeah. length because I know what that means. Get your snowblower
5: And then all of a sudden uh. they and then they'll get rid of those leaves because of those two different things or they just lack and, it, and mm-hmm. basically that's what plants do. They all of a sudden they know what to do and they're going into survival mode. So water trees put the water on it and just let it trickle on there, um, so that way the roots really can pull up that water. Um, <clears throat> mulching is really good because that helps keep the ground cooler um, for the trees and the plants any plants in general um, would mulch like two to three inches of mulch
0: so who is seeing the benefits of the work they did in spring now if you listen to eric helen in the spring this is happening in your backyard now and you're like oh mm, i'm so smart
5: well um there's a lot of Grass lawns that are really looking good because they haven't been mowing them short, yeah. so they're longer grass. Um, perennials are still um, blooming. Hydrangeas are in full bloom right now.
0: Nice.
5: Uh, so and they're going to keep on doing that. They might look a little bit awkward, but hydrangeas remember they're all leafed out. So if you put your hand underneath a hydrangea, you're going to notice that it's a lot cooler, and so the roots are cooler. Okay. Now the top. Where the top leaves are, you might see a little bit of leaf scorch if it gets super hot and it just needs to, and that's what it does. That's what the tree is doing It's pro- or the plant is doing is protecting itself. So trees shade their root system too, right? So the same same principle with hydrangea with shrubs and things like that. Um, grasses, ornamental grasses are just loving it because they usually typically will tolerate anything like this.
0: Right. so good decisions. Yeah. Yeah, we're not to mom season that yet though. I no, mean, the days are changing, moms. but moms we're, are. we're not. We're not. Don't worry, it's yeah. still summer. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's yeah. summer. Enjoy right. it, Eric Helen. Thanks so much. It's always a delight. Go, come, pull the weeds in my yard. Yeah, <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the cooler of Gatorade. Right. Yes. All right. Thanks. <laughs> At the beginning of August, an original play hit the stage at the famous Fringe Festival in Scotland. The plot of that play? What would happen if the Catholic saints suffered a downsizing? Well, in the canonized club, the curious lives and deaths of the saints, all hell breaks loose in heaven. The play made its debut in Scotland. It comes home to Aberdeen, South Dakota, with performances this weekend at Northern State University. And Dina Ronin is the writer behind the play and founder of Hardly Working Promotions. Kane Anderson is assistant professor of acting and directing at Northern State. He also directed this play. And they're with me now from the SDPB, Tom and Danielle Amon Foundation Studio at NSU. Dina, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi, it's great to be here, Dr. Anderson. Thanks as well.
2: And thank you for having us. We're really excited.
0: Uh, let's start with you, Kane. Tell us a little bit about Fringe Festival because this is a big deal. If you, but you haven't heard of it, you don't know what we're talking about. What is that uh, that festival and that experience?
2: Yeah. The Edinburgh Festival Fringe is arguably the largest collection of performing arts happening in one place at one time. It is huge. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of plays going on at any given time. The city is packed with people handing out flyers, but the population of the city practically doubles to incorporate all the artists and the production people coming and putting together these shows. It's um, a little bit option paralysis. There's so much visual information around, but if you want to see some theater that's new, different, fringy, there is no place better.
0: Dina, tell me a little bit about your desire to head this uh, show to Fringe and what the experience has been like.
6: Well, I have experience in Fringe festivals in various places. I've done them in Orlando, in Atlanta. The uh, show that I wrote prior to this went to 14 of them virtually around the world. And that's how I first got involved with Edinburgh Fringe. And that was a triple bypass. It was a series of 10-minute plays. We did it virtually 14 times. And then last year we brought it to Edinburgh Fringe in person with the local Scottish cast and crew so they're all a little different but what's the same about all of them is it's unjuried they're either done by lottery or they're done by simple sign up per venue so there's no one above saying this is art this is not art i want to work with this person i don't want to work with this person and it's a very communal experience there it's your audience is going to be full of other artists most of the work is original it's new it's Edgy. It's different. It's things that you won't see on Broadway, and that's not a that's not a bad thing. So, what's exciting about it is, as an artist, either as a producer, or as a, a writer, I'm a, a relatively new writer. There is a there's a groundwork for this. There's a place for it, and it's a supportive place.
0: All right. So, let's talk about the Saints because there's a decision to sort of downsize. There's maybe too many of them. You got to fight. You got to justify your existence
6: now. Tell me a little bit yeah. about this idea. Well, this is something that actually. Out, yeah. It occurred in 1969. This was Pope Paul VI, ah. and he um, many many consider him divisive in several ways. He had made made a lot of announcements, a lot of edicts that people were worried or confused about, Catholics and non-Catholics alike. One of them was a very generalized announcement saying that the canon was going to be changed, adjusted, etc. What that ultimately meant was creating calendars that were more regional versus international, because the there was just there was a lot of them, and it was also a matter of verifying which ones could potentially be myth over the rigorous saint canonization standards that are more in place in modern times. So I knew this occurred in history and Catholics got very upset about it. It made them very nervous. In fact, certain pa- saints that were very popular, like St. Christopher and St. Valentine, were on the chopping block, which is a joke we have in the show. But what where my mind started thinking was, what if the saints got word of it and they got angry? Oh. All right. So
0: irreverent humor abounds. Uh, Dina, where's the line for you? and uh, uh uh dr anderson where was the line for some of the performers because you you wade into things and people's uh you know deeply held beliefs can be challenged
6: you know that we we talked about this a lot and what was important to everybody was that this is something everyone could enjoy Catholics non-Catholics religious people not religious people it's supposed to be enjoyable so we we treaded water in a couple of different directions and as a matter of fact there may be more than one version of the show so (laughs) originally as I was writing I did quite a few drafts that had a lot of theological focus a lot of history focus but for a festival there's only so much time, and we also need a lot of comedy, a lot of rhetoric. So that's when Kane and the rest of the staff from Northern took over with the script for the version that we're going to be presenting over the weekend and yeah. at the festival.
2: So the Fringe has some very specific uh, timing issues. That there's a n- another show coming right in, and there's another show right before. So we had to get it down to 45 minutes, which meant taking out a lot of the writing, which was frustrating and hard to figure out to get the story super clear about what we wanted to tell. In terms of the, the tone. What I wanted to do is surprise people, but not horrify people, if that makes sense. <laughs> there's, a, there's a nation with, I want to celebrate that there's a sense of what are the the myth and the lore behind the saints. I'm fascinated by the deaths of saints and what they went through in their martyrdom. And looking at those aspects, it's I'm not trying to call any of them out. I am certainly not trying to dispute anything. I'm trying to show these are things that happened that are part of the lore, that just saying out loud, saying this person was roasted alive in a bronze bowl. Okay, That's, that in itself is a source of humor that we can talk about, but also I'm not trying to invalidate anyone's views. The students have been really great about this. Yeah. And they've even challenged me on certain parts and said, hey, I think we can make this a little cleaner because they would. Um, there is a reference to Buddha at one point, And one of the students is like, hey, can we change this line to make it a little bit more funny? No, oh, Okay.
6: What'd you have in mind? That's, that's, a great, the, <laughs> that's <laughs> the joy of new yeah. writing, yeah. Yeah. and the collaboration, yeah. which has been which has been great. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I love new work development. It's what my um, my master's degree was largely involved in new work development as an actor, and okay. so I wanted students to have this experience. Okay, so let's talk about
0: that because, you know, when you said that, I made a point of not laughing because it's a very serious historic thing. You know, torture, uh, you know, people's faith we're talking about, but obviously we're talking about a comedy, a a theatrical comedy, so therefore it's funny. And um, how do you create, um, Kane, a safe space? For actors mm-hmm. and writers to come in and say, We're gonna test the limits of what's funny and then we'll decide what we do in front of an audience. But for now, it's okay to explore what it means to be human and telling these stories and watching what we do with it all, you know, how do you create a space where that can happen? to maximize the creativity. Yeah. The maximize the creativity. Idea.
2: Yeah. Getting the actors and telling the great thing about new work is that you have a a voice that you might not have when you get a script that's already published. So encouraging them, let's hear your ideas. What are you interested in? And in the process of revision, also having readings with students and some local people and saying, what resonates with you, what doesn't? What did you, is there anything that went too far? Is there anything that you're like, go further, go further. And one of the things I try and tell the students, this is about humanizing these characters, that these are saints. And we know bits and pieces of them, their lives, often things that are maybe a little esoteric or hard to understand, but how do we give them personalities? So in this version, St. Patrick is very obsessed with his brand (laughs) because he has made some choices as a saint. Um, He was originally known for wearing blue, but now he's solidly green. And one of the things we joke about is that Americans are the ones that celebrate St. Patrick, particularly because it's a reason for them to drink. Hear, hear. And thinking about how do we celebrate those things.
6: Exactly. It's been established. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's been established. Well, and
2: acknowledging it, <laughs> that it's real.
6: Yeah. yeah, and, uh, yeah. you know, the humor qu- isn't torture-focused. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh <laughs> you know, the, the point of the eyes club is kind of this rivalry. There's,
0: there's our tweet for the day. The humor is yeah. yeah. torture-focused. Ignore what Lori Walsh said. On
6: the moment. <laughs> 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 but the, the club is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of being kicked out of this pres- prestigious club with the brunches and the valet parking. Uh-huh. So the story goes back to being you know finding their humanity why did they become saints in the first place what's really more important okay is is it important that you have a title
0: (laughs) i want to make sure that people know the canonized club performances are at northern state university in aberdeen august 25th 26th, 27th hopefully we have whet your appetite to find out more about this performance and all that it could hold theater at its best uh more information on our website scpb.org news Um, Dina and Kane, we really appreciate your time. It's been so fascinating to create this sort of safe audio space to talk about what theater can do in South Dakota. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: That's our show for today. We hope that it served you. From all of us at STPB, thanks for listening.